This is the Big Brand Theory Podcast by Blackwood Creative with your host, Kyle Johnson. And now, here's Kyle. Hey guys, welcome to the Big Brand Theory Podcast once again. Uh, today we're going to have a wonderful conversation. I know it's going to be wonderful, even though we haven't started it yet, but we're going to talk about influencer marketing with the amazing Hannah Korn. So... Hannah, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. All right, Hannah, you're local. Are you native from Northern Indiana? No, I'm not. I had never been to South Bend until I was offered a job here and then I was going to move. I am from mid-east Indiana over by Ball State. If you know where Taylor University is, it's called Upland, Indiana. Upland? Yep, Upland, the bustling metropolis of, um, known for its legendary ice cream spot, Ivanhoe's, worth the drive. Worth the drive? Two and a half hours. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yep. That must be really good. Yeah, but then I I got out uh, for school. I went to college in the West. I went to Idaho. Um... And then I actually went to school for interior design and architecture, so kind of random. And then graduated in the middle of a housing crisis, mm-hmm. so not the best choice of degree. Mm. And that kind of pushed me into another field, and then I was, I've been in that for and you stayed a there. decade. Yeah. Do you still have aspirations of going into all of the uh, interior design and stuff? No, just within my own home. Constantly moving furniture, constantly (laughs) fixing things and painting things and renovating things, much to my husband's chagrin. Yeah. Constantly looking at inspiration. And one of my best friends is in that field, so I kind of get that um, satiated through living vicariously through her and seeing her work, and sometimes she lets me tag along on jobs, so (laughs) I get to look at that stuff, so it's fun. Well, that's good, that's good, cool, cool. So, but now you're in marketing, and specifically, is your job 100% focused around influencer marketing, or that's just a piece of it? Oh, so at, um, sort of, so my, field of expertise is social media. But of course, influencers in this day and age are very much on social platforms. So the marketing services kind of converge. Um, So my last position, the marketing influencer marketing services fell under the social department. And yes, that was something that um, I built and ran with my team under social media. But here, uh, where I currently work at Lippert, they have that as a separate, um, under a separate team, the customer experience team, which is amazing that they even have something like that. And they run all sorts of different programs and their influencer marketing program is run through that team. So we do a lot of crossing of streams, like Mm -hmm. we're constantly talking, they give me content. We talk about who's doing campaigns so that we can reshare. Um, so the efforts definitely cross. And that is your friend, Ryan Zerfus. He is, yes. <laughs> used to be the host of this podcast. That so. is crazy. Small world. Small world for sure. Um, okay. Very cool. So, But today we want to talk specifically about how to utilize influencers. And I think it feels like it's been like a buzz for marketing for the last, I don't know, two, three years or whatever, it's really been like pushing. But mm-hmm. um, would would you say that like 
is influencer marketing new or is this something that like has been around for a while? Yeah, I think that's a really it's a really funny idea because it honestly has been around for so long. In fact, um, there's a brand of China from the 1800s, uh, Wedgwood China. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Very, very fancy. Only the fanciest of people have Wedgwood. And they marketed the, the guy, Wedgwood, Josiah Wedgwood, I think was his name. He marketed his China as being, this is the Queen's China. Hmm. Queen Charlotte at the time used it. And so he, that's how he sold more. Um, and he got her permission to call it something like the Queen's Wear or something like that. Like it's wow. her line. And he put her face on it and everything. So <laughs> the concept of having influential people endorse your product, yeah. not new. Not new at um, all. Not new. Uh, you just need a, a couple things for that to be the perfect um, formula, and it works. So, you know, Wedgwood China is still around, so it worked for him. Apparently, <laughs> I'd say so. Centuries. So what? Like, so what is? Let's define influencer marketing real quick, just so yeah. we got that out on the table. What would you call influencer marketing? It is the in in my opinion, the definition is. Um, you know, somebody with a sphere of influence in some medium, it doesn't even have to be digital, is endorsing your brand's product or service. Okay. Simple as that. Simple as that. Yep. And in the terms that we think about it now, influencer marketing or influencers, it's the girl on YouTube who's endorsing the makeup brand, right? That's probably the yeah. most common thing that everybody thinks of is like, oh, they're an influencer. Then that space and that category in particular is probably the one that comes top of mind to people. YouTube, Instagram, those becoming the more um, popular mediums for turning Nobody's into celebrities, frankly. <laughs> kind of yeah. a weird world. But yeah. Yeah, there's been, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's stories and stories and stories of people who are just average Joe, and then all of a sudden everybody knows who they are and what they did and all the things. So then to me, like when I think about influencer marketing, it's, it's in a sense the same as the word of mouth of your friend told you to go check this place out. Yeah. But you're just not necessarily friends with that person. You just know them and kind of place trust on them because of their fame or whatever it is. And the world now, the influencers that are doing this really well, they have formed such relationships with their followers that as a follower, you feel like you're best friends. They don't know you. Yeah. And they probably <laughs> aren't going to answer your DM because they get so many. But... You think they're you are used to seeing them. You know the kids' names. You know their dogs' names. Like you see them every day in your yeah. Instagram feed, right next to some of your best friends and family. Right. So it really does become this blurred line of like, if you saw them in public, you'd be like, oh hey, Katie, hi, what's going on? And she would be like, I don't know you, yeah. but you know most of them are used to that now. But you would feel like. Gosh, I know so much about this person. I know where you were last night. I know what you feed your dog. Like, yeah. you know, you are just invited into their homes and into their lives. And that's exactly that's exactly where the value is because you really would trust anything that they said because you're like, no, this person's great. I know. Yeah, I know them. Yeah, I know them. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's kind of a interesting thing. 
messing with our heads a little bit. Yeah. So. That's social media in general, though, beyond. Totally. Because I get that on from me, and I'm by no means an influencer on a macro level, but where people will come up to me and say, hey, I saw you, whatever, did this, or you know, in casual conversations, they start talking about something that I've done or said or whatever. I'm like, how do you, oh, yeah, because I... I shared it, you know. Yeah. But that idea is 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 still there. So. Yep. So, the the idea of influencer marketing is basically finding those people who have an audience, mm-hmm. um, and we want to connect with them and have them sell our product for us, right? In theory, or yep. some very version of that base level. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Hoping, um, I think this is the interesting distinction, and we can get more into this later, but. Um, their sphere of influence, their audience, who listens to them, you want that group to be majority made up of your target audience. Right. Who you're trying to sell your product or service to. Not necessarily the influencer themselves. They might not be in that demographic. Um, and that's a tricky one for for people to understand sometimes is that when you're going after these people, you're not necessarily looking always for an influencer that looks like your target persona, you could be going after somebody that looks totally different, but all their followers are this, are made up of that demographic Mm -hmm. that you're going after. Right. So it's a good distinction to make because you can easily fall into that trap and then you're talking to hundreds of thousands of people that aren't part of your perfect buying persona and that doesn't really work for you. So Yeah. So when does it, when does it make sense for a company or a brand or something to jump into this concept of like, yeah, let's let's be intentional about finding influencers and utilizing them within our marketing platform. At what point does that make sense? I mean, that's a good question because I think you do have to have some level of you have to have some level of resources to be able to do that, budget and manpower. Um, so at least those things to get off the ground. So with that, you know, budget can be a whole big can of worms, and mm-hmm. I know you want to get into that m- nitty-gritty more a little later, but basically if you have a product consumer packaged good that you are trying to sell or a service in any category, any industry, any vertical, whatever, there's, there are influencers in those places. So finding them, engaging them, and leveraging them in the way that works for your business is a lot of thinking and planning and doing that someone, someone has to do. So before you even get into it, you have to have that budget and the manpower to do it. It's not going to be something that's going to be able to be done by the marketing manager that's in your office that does everything from your email to your sales slicks Mm -hmm. to your social posts. It can't be that person. It's got to be a resource dedicated to all of the nuance, at least one person. (laughs) And, you know, you scale and grow and, and use tools and systems to help you be more efficient. But... I would say that for the most part, influencer marketing can be applied to any business. 
Um, now, when you get down to a smaller, you know, maybe you are regionally focused. Maybe you are a, I don't know, maybe you're a hospital network. Like, let's say here in Mishawaka, you're just in Michiana. It's very small footprint for your clients who you're marketing to. Um, that I think would, you know, that's different and you it might look different at the end of it It might not be somebody putting up a youtube talking about your talking about your hospital that's Mm -hmm. not necessarily what you need but you could find um again people of influence within the community other doctors specialists i don't know i'm not out here to try to make a plan for one of the health (laughs) networks out here but there's always somebody that your target audience is listening to. Yeah. So if you want to influence them, figure out who they're listening to and where that person is talking. Again, it might not always be digital or social mediums. It could be completely offline. Um, but when you figure that out, you can harness that and then push your messaging out appropriately. You know, And finding probably like in the... In the nuances of some things, right? So when you you mention like medical, and I'm thinking, yeah, like if it's just a regular hospital, like there's probably not you're not going to have some local famous person be like, hey, I went to the hospital and right. look at how great they are. And that makes no sense. But if it was they visited this specialist and they helped them out over here and they did this thing and they do a little shout out, hey, I met with Doctor So and So and like he helped me with this or whatever, that kind of thing. Where obviously you've got to deal with all the privacy and that stuff. Yeah, but. If there was a way that they were willing to say, basically give that shout out or work in some sort of program or something like that, it feels mm-hmm. like in the in the nuances, in the little things, you might be able to utilize this. And pretty much, like you said, almost any business out there mm-hmm. can can jump in and figure out a way that if it's not like an ongoing campaign, like for example, for you guys, and maybe you can give some stories on this, like for Lipper and stuff, you've got. I mean, you could just go. Basically, you can find some influencers and just almost indefinitely be working with them on a regular basis in and out and that kind of thing. Yep. Yes. And that actually, throughout all of my experience, I've done this in multiple categories. So right Mm -hmm. now we're doing this, obviously, in the recreational vehicle RV space, which is exploding. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Uh, Marine. So boating, uh, sailboats. yachts, things like that. Um, and then the automotive category. So a lot of aftermarket parts for your Jeep or your truck or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so that those categories, but then also I've been doing this in beauty and fashion. Um, we've done this for, um, some, uh, food companies that we've done in the past. And basically the crux of my whole thing with influencer marketing and I, shared this with you a little bit when we first talked about it is the relationship. And if you get, you know, marketing is all about relationships. You're trying to build a relationship between your brand and your target audience. But in the middle is this wonderful opportunity to build a really good relationship between your brand and that influencer who's going to become your brand advocate, just another word for influencer. And I like to use that term more because that truly is what they should be. It's not a transactional relationship. Here, you post this, I give you money. Oi, how long is that going to last? And how far is that going to get you? They're going to fulfill that contract and then bounce out. And they're going to be like, great, it was going to work with you. Okay, bye. Mm -hmm. And then whatever. If you can 
build a relationship and take the time to nurture it just like anything else you know date each other feel it out <laughs> it's a good fit and then you go into this great relationship with a two-way commitment you get two-way value you're still exchanging money for services but they become part of your you know in our case it's part of our lippert family and that's what we call the people that work inside Libert Corporate, that is what we call the people that work at our plant levels, and that is what we would refer to as our brand ambassadors as well. They're part of the Lippert family, and we want them to feel that way. And they, in a lot of cases, they don't, um, they, are, they are paid with product, not with cash. Hmm. Um, we only have a few of those people that we pay actually, you know, write checks to. Sure. Um, the rest just do it because they love our product. They want other campers to know how great our product is and what it can help them do. And they love being advocates for a brand that treats them well, sets them up, cares about them and their family and their dog to set them up and get them safely out vacationing as a family. Um, and that's the kind of thing that that goes so much farther. You will get so much more content, so much more than you could ever imagine because you've got these people that are willing to go above and beyond for you hmm. because they feel that deep connection with your brand. Yeah. So. And you're giving them product. You're saying, hey, here's this product. Here's learn all about it. Go test it out. And then they just take it and they just share all about it. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Here's so and from a Lipper perspective, um, and Ryan could speak way more to this because he executes this program, you know, every single day, lives and breathes it, but Lipper goes above and beyond. We bring the influencers to our location here in Mishawaka, what we call the Technical Institute, where we train on all of our products. We train on competitor products. All the Technical Institute is out there to do is to teach teach people how to best use our products and anything else they have a problem with. We're there to, to provide answers. So doing that education with our influencers really goes a long way because then, again, we put them out and they know, like the back of their hand, these products, the ins and outs, mm -hmm. troubleshoot, how to install. They can help others in the campground. I don't know if you've ever been RV camping, but... A lot of things can go wrong out there yeah. on the road, and when you're trying to relax and just get everything set up, the last thing you want to do is have something go wrong. So we love to know that our brand ambassadors are out there spreading you know, the Lippert love and that they know how to work these products, and if anybody has questions, they're there to help be a brand advocate and teach them how to do it or hook them up with someone who can like us. So, Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, how can like how can any company let's 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 say the optimal company? So maybe not real small shop that's got to work really hard to figure out how can I actually use an influencer, but somebody where an influencer just is very obviously makes sense, where that maybe they're selling a product or a consumer facing service or something like that, where we have an influencer and they and they fit really well. But let's what's like what are some ways that um, that a company or a brand can use an influencer um, to to help them, like really just get their from A to Z kind of yeah. yeah. So once you find those people that work, um, 
as far as they're in your category, their audience is part of who you're trying to talk to and get through to about your product or service, then, you know, especially if, and I will just, I guess, um, hone it down into the social, let's just say social space. Sure. Um, you know, what I think, just like anything else, and I use this analogy a lot because I think it's really applicable, um, you're dating. So you have to figure out if they're a good fit for you mm -hmm. before you th just throw money at this sure. and decide, like, yeah, this person's amazing. Oh, my goodness. Take your time. Dip your toe in the water. Follow them for a while. Follow them as your brand or follow them as your personal platform. doesn't really matter. Watch them. See the kind of content they put out. Um see, you know, where kind of get an idea for their strengths. Every influencer that's on any social platform has a strength. Maybe YouTube and long form content is their strength. Maybe their strength is still photos. Um, they are content creators at the core. So usually, I mean, some of them do have people that create content for them, but typically they're their own content creators. So figure out what they're good at making and um, and then f imagine your brand in that scenario. Um, there are some of them that, you know, they're not very good at video. So maybe video isn't what you're necessarily going to use them for. Maybe mm -hmm. they'll fit into another place in your content strategy. Um, but start following them, start liking their content, start commenting, seeing how they respond back, read their comments, um, see how they engage with their audience. And then... You know, I'm a big fan of the traditional dating scenario where you reach out and see if they want to take it to the next step, whatever mm -hmm. that is. Um, and I, again, I'm a big fan of you meet them. You have a video call. You know, if they're across the country, just have a Zoom call. If they're local, meet for lunch. Mm -hmm. Get to know them. And is this the kind of person you would want to represent your brand, product, or service? Right. I think that's really important because so often brands get into hot water because they're just mass sending out cold PR emails. Hey, be part of this campaign, be part of this campaign. Drop in so much money to just have this really wide swath and this big footprint instead of really getting down, again, back to the quality, not necessarily quantity, um, and making it a relationship worth hanging on to and investing in. Again, just like a good marriage, like yeah. time, energy, investment. Like if you're going to put money towards this, a lot of brands don't have the budget to just toss things out and hope they stick. Right. So put your money where it's going to make the most difference and vet those people really well, just like you would your employees. They're going to be technically working for you. Their brand, your brand is going to be coming out of their mouth and it's going to be all over their platform. So make sure it's the kind of person you would want representing your brand. Yeah. So are there, are there certain things that we should be looking out for? Uh, you mentioned like, you mentioned if we identify a person, I'm thinking before we even identify somebody, are there certain things that we should be paying attention to uh, should we look at follower count? Should we look at like what mm. what are things that we should use to be like key indicators of like this might be a good fit for us? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of tools. I will say the easiest route is to 
invest in a tool okay. <laughs> that does the work for you. Well, yeah. It will spit out all of the data and analytics that you would need to analyze the health of their platform, the engagement level that they have. They might have a million followers and a 0.02% engagement rate. Like, mm. that's not great. No. Um, if they have a million followers and they have 600 likes on their photo, you can tell with your naked eye that that's not a great <laughs> engagement rate. Right. Um, so those are little indicators. Uh, there's actually a free tool that I love that I don't mind plugging all day, socialblade.com. You can put in handles for all of the big platforms. Um, I haven't seen that they've... Um, that they've been able to hook up to TikTok yet, but it's a free tool. You can input any handle of a person on social with a public account that you're looking to vet, and it'll spit out some analytics for you um, that are pretty decent in being able to say, like, oh, okay, they've got some healthy engagement here. They talk to their, they talk back to their um, people, their followers. Um, they, sorry, I'm just trying to hook up to Wi-Fi really quick. Mm. There are some indicators of, um, shady follower techniques. If you ever see somebody who has really high spikes, um, in their follower growth that mm. is abnormal, like really high spikes. Typically, that can be a little bit of a red flag that they might have done something to boost their followership, and you don't really like want to bought, associate. Like maybe bought fl- followers yes. or... Yes, yeah. or had somebody do a like bot campaign or something. Mm-hmm. If you ever see big spikes or um, just big fluctuations in it, what would otherwise be a pretty normal pattern for them, um, that would be a red flag that you probably don't want to be... Um, associating yourself with somebody who's out there looking for ways to cheat social, right? <laughs> that's not going to be a good one for anybody. Yeah, because I think the in, the engagement piece of it seems like that's probably one of the most important things, right? Is we're, we're saying we want to give you a product or a service or something like that that you can share, and we want your followers to engage with this. And if they're already low, and then we come across and you're offering a, you know, if it's not done well, it can look like a, a product pitch. Yes. And absolutely. then it's going to just flop because your your engagement's already low and now you're pitching at it. It's like, eh, I'm exactly. not interested. So. Exactly. And the really good influencers out there on social, they're very picky about the brands that they want to work with as well. They want to be true to their own brand and sure. their own persona. They know who their followers are really well and they only want to give them content that they believe in. That's the kind of person you definitely want to do business with because, again, you're finding that great fit. Is this a value to you? Is this a value to me? And it should be a two-way street. It's not just, oh, yeah, you have a million followers. You're what I want, and I'll pay you whatever because that's the trap you'll get in really quick is they'll just say, well, look at my follower count. You need me. I don't need you kind of a scenario, and that's – not, again, not the kind of person you want to deal with. And a lot of times in negotiation mode with these people of, you know, their rates and payments, which vary drastically, um, if, you know, if they were not easy to work with, if lawyers were brought into the conversation, those were red flags for me. Like, mm. all right. Yeah. If we can't <laughs> get through this, 
I can't imagine having two to three year campaigns with you yeah. or what some of our really good people um, with one of my brands that I worked with a while back. What we did was put them on a retainer. They had a retainer budget every month, and they dropped content to us constantly. So it was this constant influx of content and them posting about our brand. And we were paying them regular payments every month. What a sweet gig for them. Yeah. Like, And they appreciated it. And likewise, we, we were with them to help them grow their platforms, and they helped grow ours. And it was just this beautiful relationship. And there were just a handful of them that we, we called them, you know, rock stars. They were the cream of the crop. They rose to the top of any campaign. They were professional. They were awesome to work with. Um, they were so considerate and they were somebody that you wanted to be part of your team. Mm. And those were people that we were like, yes, all day, like be part of our program and always on. And that was great. It just gave us legs in Instagram that, it was awesome. You just turned it on and they did their thing. And, you know, everything that they were going to say and do was on brand. They had very limited questions. They were just part of, you know, the machine mm. and they knew their part in it and they were happy to be there. And it was really great. Um, so this is what Social Blade looks like. <clears throat> okay. So this is great. It gives you a really quick overview of your engagement rate, average likes, average comments per, per post, total followers, how many mm -hmm. you know media upload or whatever. Then you can get down here and see some trends. They limit this to like the last you know two weeks or something like that. So this is a good free tool for people to just quickly assess like the health of a platform. Um, so if you were going to vet your influencer, you could quickly look at this and just say like hmm, what have they got going on here? Yeah. And it could be great, it could be not so great, or it could be just, you know, okay, that's average, that's good, that's healthy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a tool that I use quite often, actually. That's awesome. Are there any other, like, red flags that you can think of that we should be watching out for of, like, yeah, let's, let's not work with them? You mentioned one is a really low en engagement rate, um, and then just complications like from the get, like if somebody's trying to make this complicated, bringing lawyers in and all that kind of stuff, like are mm -hmm. there any other things that we should be watching for as we kind of start this process? Um, I guess it depends on the, the values of the business. You know, what are the core values of your business? You definitely sure. want whatever influencer you bring on you would want them to exude those qualities. And they're, you know, in contracts with certain influencers, we've even written in their code of conduct because there's there are some brands that, you know, they're just strict adherences to that brand that they always want to project themselves as this. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to bring people on the, to the into your influencer program that are going to be wild cards. You don't know how they're going to react, mm, if yeah. they've ever had controversy with brands in the past. I mean, give it a goog. Yeah. Look at them on Google. Have they ever been in any kind of scenario? They're very public usually, and if they're big enough, they may or may not have had, you know, some kind of controversy surrounding them. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think those are... 
again, going back to, you know, if you're a business owner um, or a leader of a team, how would you go about kind of a hiring process and think about it in terms of that a little bit that you want to make sure they're vetted on all angles? Yeah, that that to me, like even me personally, like that helps me really put it in perspective of like I need to look at my potential influencer as a potential employee because they should fit in with values. Mm -hmm. They should they should be an advocate for the brand. They should actually care about the service or the product and and not be out there causing, you know, mayhem when when we want them to to represent our brand, whether it's whatever it is, we mm-hmm. want them to fit within that. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. We look at them like basically like an employee. Totally. Yeah. Totally. They're freelancers and in the sense of IRS, you know, they're yeah. a freelancer on your business uh, payroll. So yeah, I would say that's that's definitely the safest way to go about that. I, knock on wood, have never been involved in having any influencers in any of the programs I've helped support be, you know, have any issues. Mm-hmm. But again, I've never wanted to put ourselves or our businesses in those positions. So right. going through those motions up front really save a lot of that headache on the back end. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, I think that... The one conversation which you kind of touched on a little bit earlier, but um, this is this is the first question is should I even do this? And the answer to that is probably right. At least explore. At, at least it. try it. Yeah. Um, the second question is so so how much does this cost? Like if, <laughs> if I'm a marketing manager, I'm a VP or something like that, and I'm like, okay, I've got a budget here for marketing. How much of it should I anticipate I should spend? That kind of thing. So, like, where are we? What are we looking at when it comes to budget? Um, yeah, this is a good one. So, there are some fixed costs of, like I said, you want to make sure you have the internal resources to support. So, right there, you're you got to think about what internal resource, what employee on your team mm-hmm. might be the one doing this, um, facilitating all of this work. So, that's that's one thought, kind of a, a hard cost there. And then another hard cost you're going to have to consider is if your program if your program gets to you know even a dozen influencers, that's way more than one person can manually handle. So you're going to need some tools and some systems to help make you more efficient. And then you can put off perhaps another, a second hire for a while, at least because you have this tool that gives you some arms and legs that makes your team a little bit more efficient. So those tools, um, there's hundreds of them out there. Um, You know, you can go as small as $10,000 annually to some of the bigger platforms that uh, companies like Disney run their, Nike runs their influencer program through, you know, $30,000 to $40,000 a year. Mm -hmm. But if you look at that against a hire of an employee, hey, that's that's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's, that's kind of what I always say is like, there's definitely, if you look at it from that perspective and you see how much work is actually out there when you're trying to do this stuff manually, oh boy, you can really quickly just digest the numbers and add it up and look at the hard costs of having another employee on staff and realize like, oh, okay, I could easily work this into my budget for the next year. Um, Those platforms also come, you know, the more expensive ones especially, come with reps with your account and their goal, just like a lot of other um, 
marketing management systems, their goal is to make you successful. There's a lot of drop off in that first year of someone using kind of an automated system sure. like that. Yeah. So they want you to stay on. They want to keep signing you year after year. Of course. Um, so their whole job is to make sure you're comfortable with the tool and you're successful with meeting your goals, which is really great because that one team member who's running your influencer program can then lean on them for a huge amount of support. Sure. Um, getting used to the tool, training, optimizing, leveraging certain parts of the tool that they might not know are there. Um, and we found that to be, in my experience, that was a huge help for us, is just leaning on those reps to be successful. So can we dive into that just a little bit of like what are what are these tools doing? Because I feel I feel like probably especially for those who have never done influencer marketing at all, mm-hmm. they have no idea what's all involved with this. Like, can, can I just take take a picture and just send it to them, or I just send them a product and say, hey, share this a few times. Like, it's more than that, right? This is not just a a real basic conversation. There's more involved. So what what is involved with actually engaging an influencer in a in a meaningful way. Okay. So from finding the time just finding these people, yeah. which like I said you can have a there's a tool for that. Yeah. You can buy the tool and it will find these people a lot easier for you. Um, the tool you can basically put in interests um, kind of think of it as a it's its own Google search engine for influencers. Okay. Influencers all have public profiles and they are um, in some way they've been pulled into this platform. So one of the platforms um, that I've used most recently was Creator IQ. So they have a database of hundreds of thousands of influencers hmm. all over the world. Any platform. Um, So you can go in and put in your search criteria. I want someone that's located in New York City and that is... has a boat and is, you know, 30 years old. So you can put in that kind of search query and it'll pull up all of the relevant influencers within that those search parameters. <laughs> and their profile is there, you know, it all of the public information that they put out on the internet which with these types of people is a lot yeah. is all scraped and combined into this really nice profile you can pull up their um, profile look at their active platforms you can find all these stats that we kind of just high level ones that we just looked at and so much more um, all through that portal hmm. so it makes finding these people yeah. seamless that's a lot easier than just going to Instagram oh and searching <laughs> going to Instagram <laughs> looking at hashtags but you know that's another way too that if you're just starting out, again, walking into the world of influencer marketing services and trying to run this internal in-house, that team member, that this is their dedicated job, going out and finding these people grassroots, you know, that's what I started doing before I had a tool. I first, when I was doing this at at the agency, I had to... um, I had to even sell the client on the idea that influencers were going to work for this. So I was kind of just doing it on the side, like, let's find people who are already talking about our brand. They already love us, and they have some circle of influence that's listening to them. So that was pretty easy because you could just search by your branded hashtags. Mm -hmm. Oh, they talk about us, like, every week. We're constantly using their EGC. These are great people. Yeah. 
let's have a dialogue. So you'd be like, hey, DMs, what are you doing in the next couple months? Would you like to try our new product? We'd mm-hmm. love for you to review it. And you just send them a box and see what happens and yeah. cross your fingers. Um, so finding them that grassroots style through tagging, I think that can be, it can be time consuming, but it usually does pay off. They're very active in that tag. They're very prominent on the platform. Um, you can get you can get to the same destination as you would using a tool. Um, it just may take a little bit more time. Sure. But that research can be really helpful. So we found, so we say we found somebody. What's our next step? We engaged, we reached out to them, said, hey, you know, you, it seems like you're, you could be a good fit. You like our product. Maybe you're already using it, something like that. Like, what, how do we properly engage them in a way? Like, what are our next steps? Like we said, it's, it's probably not just, tossing them a product and then hoping that they post about it, right? There's more to it than that. Yeah. I mean, some some programs, like I said at Lippert, um, it is the industry is such that there's a lot of trust. There's a, a good, really good relationship between the brand and those people. They've been part of the Lippert family for mm-hmm. years. Um, so they don't rely heavily on contracting these people. Sure which I think is just a testament to the program and the strength of those relationships. Um, But contracting is one angle that can, you know, you get down that path of like, okay, we think this is a good fit. You like our product. We would love to provide you with product if you would review it and, you know, throw us some of that content our way. Even that quick exchange of like, okay, we're going to give you this and you're going to give us this, I would 100% recommend writing that down (laughs) somewhere, um, even just for the purposes of organization. Mm -hmm. But eventually, you know, just like anything, you want to start with the end in mind. So if you're going to have to report on this later and really analyze performance of these people, you want to prove that this this great idea you had worked and that this was the right person, then... You're gonna want to be organized up front and have all of that kind of documentation. Sure. So, um, you know, you want to make sure you remember who you gave product to. I gave that person this version of that product. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So sometimes that's really easy just to do an Excel sheet. Um, okay, I've got this campaign going for a new product launch. I've got ten people who are going to receive this product. You got to think about all those logistics. Mm-hmm. I got to get their address. I got to, yeah. when is this, if it's a new product, is it, how far in advance are you talking about it? That's another thing too. If you're launching a social media campaign of a new product and people can't get it yet, yeah. what are you, what, what are you sending them? What's the action right they're going to take? Yeah. So um, you have to make sure that that's all lined up as part of a new product launch is, okay, are we having influencers talk about this? When is the product going to be ready for shipping? How long does it take to get all these people product? How are we going to package it? Is a package just like a consumer might receive it? Is that packaging even printed yet? Like, is that, you know, how is that packaging going to go through the mail? Will that be all dirty and junked up? Is that what you want to project on social? Probably not. So now you got to get an outer shipping box. Mm -hmm. You can see quickly how the logistics really add up in terms of time. Um, My rule of thumb, what I would tell brands um, when we were in those planning phases, six weeks. 
at least six weeks before you want them to start talking about this on the platform that we need to understand that the product's available and what your parameters are, who mm. the target is for this, and et cetera, et cetera. So six weeks out, we could do a pretty clean campaign lineup, get everybody lined up, get the black and white details of what they're going to do in exchange for what product, mm -hmm. money, whatever, and then start mailing whatever we needed to do, fulfillment, basically. Huh. So it's a lot. Yeah. Um, it depends, too. Like, you know, some products aren't shippable. Yes. If you have a product <laughs> that is, you know, say you have an aftermarket truck product that weighs, you know, 700 pounds and is customized, that makes your influencer program nuances very different. Yeah. Then you're talking a whole different, and you've got dealers or OEMs involved in that process now too, and it just becomes a whole different approach of how soon you get people involved and what those steps are to get product to them and content out. Wow. So. It, yeah, when you when you lay all that out, it really makes sense why this can't just be put onto a you know a marketing person and just like okay, well you're gonna do this, run this, go get us some influencers, yeah, go do this and like <laughs> yeah, or here's an intern, to they're your... gonna run our influencers, right. yeah. I mean, yep. if I know directors of marketing and VPs of marketing and so forth, probably the people listening to this podcast, like. They're the people that we deal with on a regular basis on an agency, and they're already slammed with everything because they're running all of this stuff. They're running social media and this video shoot and website content and mm -hmm. all this stuff. And half the time, they're oh, they're the ones popping open Photoshop so they can design this postcard real quick and get it done, whatever it is. And then you're going to toss in like, oh, by the way, we want you to manage. You know, this half a dozen influencers. Group of people, <laughs> yeah. new employees over here that need to be set up and talking about this thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Can so, so does it make sense then? Is does it make sense to involve an agency maybe at that point, or or is this something that you should try to hold in house? That's a great question. I think um, it could definitely be something that you you ping an agency for maybe just to start, see what the results are. Sure. Maybe start small, set aside, you know, some money to for their services on top of a small program. Maybe it is a new product launch and you want to see how it goes. Or maybe if too much is riding on that, do something else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's smart to engage an agency. They do this all the time and they're very efficient in all of those little logistics. They'll have the whole shebang lined up for you. But again, you know, just like anything else, you go back to even a third party partner like an agency, make sure that they are going to uphold your values yeah. and that you come really clearly with who you're trying to reach, what you expect from these influencers, um, you know, what your success metrics are for this program, whatever you're going into, have that defined for them as well. Don't let them take it 100% and just go. If this is a new engagement, yeah. yeah. Stay really close to it and make sure that the spirit of your company's core values and your brand are going to be infused through that because it can quickly, if, if you don't choose the right 
partner to help you facilitate that, you're going to run into all those red flags. They're not looking for that. They don't care about that. Um, and you might not know that unless you ask those kinds of questions. Sure. Um, a lot of agencies, because they are that third party, they're they're trying to be as efficient as possible. Yeah. Because it's their money too. Um, so you want to make sure that it's not that cold transactional element, you yeah. know, that yeah. we're saying is is best to avoid. That they're building relationships on behalf of your brand that are meaningful and that you can own. That's mm-hmm. another one too. If you are hiring this agency and they're gonna they're building the relationships you got to be careful because now you've inserted a middleman and this influencer might never really know you and your brand Mm. so stay close to that and don't be afraid to ask like hey i'd like to be on the call with them i want to meet them and be involved from not micromanaging but be involved from the perspective of I want to I want to vet them too. I'd like yeah. to be in the vetting stage, then you guys can handle the execution, but I want to be really involved in this upfront to make sure the right people are part of this program, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. So, I want to jump back to one little thing that you had mentioned there, like how do we go about identifying whether this program of influencers is even working for us? Yep. The old, how do I know it's, <laughs> how do I know my money is working yeah, for what's me? What's my ROI here? All, whatever that question is. But I mean, yeah. as, as we're running a business, if, if we're the business owner or if we're in charge of marketing or something like that, like that's usually on our radar is like, well, we can't just spend money and then be like, yeah, we don't know if it we worked it. or not. Yeah. yeah. Check the box. But yep. how do we know if it's working? Yeah, so this is a big one. And if you ask, you know, 10 different people in this line of work, they'll probably all give you 10 different answers. I think what the industry of influencer marketing services is moving into is actually more of a traditional measurement of you're paying for eyeballs and engagements. Let's just stick to the social space. You're paying for eyeballs and engagements. So the return on that investment really quickly becomes the same metrics you're using to analyze your paid social advertising. So cost per click, cost per impression, those are becoming more and more, you know, we don't have to anymore um, break down the abbreviations of cost per click. We can just say in a report, CPC, and the director of marketing or the CMO knows what we're talking about now. Um, We've been doing digital advertising for a while. You know, I think people are getting used to that. So that tends to be the, the best way of measuring how well this did. Um, the estimated media value is kind of a typical PR measurement. Like if I get this placed in a magazine, this is my expected, um, you know, how many eyes are going to be on this magazine, mm-hmm. your, your circulation or whatever. And that used to be how they would measure some of that more traditional PR. Sure. Estimated media value is actually something that's built into some of these tools for influencers, and it will spit out that number for you. Hmm. Um, in fact... I do, there was some math on a campaign that we did years ago. So basically what the breakdown was, and I know it's hard to 
follow a visual medium like math, <laughs> but um, we had 113 pieces of content across Instagram and YouTube, so 113 assets. We reached 2 million people. Wow. We had about... 225,000 engagements across those pieces. So the estimated media value was a little over a million dollars. So we spent uh, all in that company, that brand, spent $110,000 with the agency to complete that program. So the return, it's all ones and zeros at this point. So (laughs) the return was 1,000% ROI. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. That sounds like That's insane. sign me up for whatever yeah. that is. Yeah. And before that, a similar program that was executed um, for the same brand just a few months prior saw 400% ROI. So we, we more than yeah. doubled our results for that second go around and got really good at, at finding the spots in the program that we could pump up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that tended to be a really good way to communicate within the marketing department and then outside to all the executives and C-suites that needed to see how this program went. That tended to be the best way to communicate that idea of, okay, here, here's the creative we got, the assets, the eyeballs, what we would have you know, paid per platform because that's different too. A tweet is not the same media value as a YouTube video, right? So even in the world of digital advertising, those are weighted differently. So um, cost per impression in certain spaces Mm -hmm. is different. Um, So yeah, the tool does that math automatically, which is really nice. I was going to say, how do we know that? So we're using a tool to get (laughs) us that. I definitely depend on a tool, but always ask what that formula is. they that should be information that that rep of whatever tool can give you on the back end they're using open api data from the platforms that we all have access to frankly Mm -hmm. internal in-house marketing team developers and these tools developers speaking the same language you all have access to the same metrics out of instagram so make sure you understand as the leader of this team what that math is to get to those values. You don't just want to go out with a blanket number and we have a thousand percent ROI. That's going to raise some eyebrows in the room and you want to be able to answer what that means. Um, Because that kind of sounds like a kind of sounds like a junkie marketing number. A thousand percent ROI. No one else is saying that, you know, no one in sales is saying that. So if you're, if you're spouting those kind of uh, numbers out of marketing, then just make sure you know exactly what those breakdowns mean and that you can come to educate because truly we're very much in the phase of educating most people inside marketing, but definitely outside marketing, how to think about influencers in the right way um, and how to not think about them yeah. over here, you know? So, yeah, that is that is what we found to be a really successful story to help tell the success of like an influencer campaign. Um, but ongoing, you know, if you've got the tools, this is great too. The influencers can plug right into it. You send them a link, they sign up for the tool and it plugs right into their data feed of their Instagram or their YouTube. And all of that just comes, sucks right back into your platform. And you can at a glance say, this is one of our top performing people we've got out there. All of our content 
is above our benchmark engagement rate. Um, or this person's really not even fulfilling not the base it. level or yeah. whatever, not hitting that goal. We got to really consider if we're going to keep them around. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, like the analytics piece of it, because, you know, you can't necessarily just go to somebody's profile and like look at all their analytics, especially even now, like as Instagram's pulling off publicly facing analytics, how many likes and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So, so plugging them in helps us get to those analytics. We're gonna, we're gonna want to know that, right? Yes. If, if they're posting, like how, what's the reach? What's the engagement and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes even before you hire them to be part of your program, it's pretty common practice to ask. You know, just flat out ask, what is your engagement rate? Can you send me some of those numbers? Mm. Screenshots, obviously, because they can make up numbers sure. and you can't validate it. Um, so can you send me screenshots of the last six months of your data? They should be able to do that. Um, yeah. And if they start to put up a fight or disagree with you about providing that data, then yeah. that's a red flag and for you that, on. okay, if you're not willing to share your performance metrics, then you're not very proud of the work you're putting out there. And why would I? work with you. So it's pretty commonplace. Um, A lot of them too, and if you're a brand of significant size, you're getting attention from influencers and you see these pitch emails and they give you that data and they say like, here's attached a report of our last campaign we did. And it's usually white labeled. You don't know what brand it is. Um, And they'll share some of that with you. So kind of interesting. They're getting used to it, at least in certain categories. You know, the beauty and fashion categories that are super saturated and really competitive. um, Those are numbers that they're just used to sharing. Yeah, that makes sense. So what, as as we dive into this more, like whether we're new to it or we've been doing it for a little bit, like what are some other... Do you have any other tips or anything that we should know when we're when we're getting into influencer marketing and like whatever in any any facet? We've talked about identifying the right people a little bit. We've talked about the whole process of of what we're doing um, and the cost of it is kind of like you said varied across the board. It can be anything from just a product, whatever mm-hmm. that costs you, to paying them actual cash. Mm-hmm. Um, talked about analytics. What other tips would you have for somebody who's jumping into this? Um, One of the things that I like to um, touch on a little bit is there's two different buckets that influencers can fall within, in my opinion. There's content creators and there's amplification. So they, you could be paying them just to create content. And from you know, from working at an agency, you kind of know the hard costs. If a client comes to you and says, I want a photo shoot that outputs 13 long form videos over five minutes each and a hundred different still photos, real quick, you're doing the math in your head and you're like, holy cow, this is a two day shoot. We got to get a video crew in here. We need makeup. We need wardrobe. Like it quickly spirals. And what I would always just be really upfront with clients about is, look, you can pay an agency to create content for you all day. There's tons of content houses out there that'll just turn it out, right? Mm Two-day photo shoots, charge you an arm and leg. You may be paying at the end of the day something like $1,600 per asset, like a still photo. 
if you go out into the influencer space and think of these people as freelance content creators, maybe their following is only like 1,500 people. That's okay. They take great photos and videos. There is a whole world of people out there that have taught themselves very complicated video editing techniques mm -hmm. so they can be on YouTube. Pay them to create a video for you. You don't have to pay hair, makeup, talent, yeah. blah, blah, blah. You may have to pay a little extra for the rights to that forever, right? To use it in, in advertising and organic marketing. But that's a great stream to think about for content creation and social media, all of any brand, social media platforms, it's a constant grind. You never have enough content. Right. So if you can think about influencers from that perspective, it opens up a whole new world of opportunity for getting content to fuel any part of your marketing and advertising. Um, so that's one way too to ease yourself into this world is just contract people like you would freelance content creators. Um, and then that's a good way to vet them, you know, all the things, how easy are they to work with? What's their output? Um, do they meet deadlines? Things like that. And mm -hmm. you're not having them post one thing about your brand. There's no amplification of your message. It's purely content creation. Hmm. So that's one angle. And, um, and then there's the amplification arm. So they're content creators, obviously, but they have the audience. So that's where the amplification comes in. They're amplifying whatever product or service messaging you're wanting them to put out there. And you're paying for that. You're paying for the eyeballs. You're paying for them to use their platform to talk about your brand's product or service, right? So, and that's kind of the the scenario we've been talking a lot about, making sure their audience is the right person that you want to talk to and meets your persona, um, that they're saying the right things about you and blah, 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 mm -hmm. all of that things, all of those point back to that influencer relationship where you would be paying them to amplify your message. But a good, solid program will have a little bit of both buckets. Um, there, you know, you might have a program where you have hundred influencers in your program and 30% of them are content creators. Maybe they're on retainer and you just have them creating content for you and dropping it in Dropbox all day long. And it's just going and going and going. Um, that was one for one of the, um, brands that we helped, that was a really good way for us to get content to support our platforms. And we would deliver sometimes like a really detailed brief. Hey, we need something really specific. And they'd be so open to that. Great. Mm. Could use the help. Like don't like to create, you know, with yeah. no direction. So they would love that. So we would give them creative briefs to help guide a bucket of content. And then they would drop that and it'd be exactly what we needed for nice. the next quarter campaign promotions. Right. Um, then um, having, you know, if that's 30% of your program, then 70% becomes that amplification arm where you're out there for eyeballs and engagements and getting that target audience to follow you and all those things with a whole different set of success metrics too. Both of those are different. If it's pure content creation, then it's a little bit of quality, quantity, um, you know, things like that become your success metrics where mm -hmm. the amplification arm, it's all of the, the more traditional stuff that we talked about in terms of more of a paid 
advertising approach that you take with that. So the content creators, they're still posting it on their channels, right? They could. Okay. See, this is really interesting. So say I find a content creator. They have a small-ish platform. Maybe they only have like 2,000 followers, um, which is kind of similar to like any of us probably have sure. something in that range, you know, between high school, college, and then people you work with, colleagues and stuff like that. That's not a... Nothing to sneeze at, but it's not a huge following. So if they've got about 2,000 followers, they take really good photos, they're trying to get better, um, they're trying to get noticed. A lot of a brand coming to them saying, hey, we notice you and we would love to partner with you. Can you create content for us? That becomes a milestone for them. This is the first brand opportunity. They can use this in a portfolio for other brand pitches. Yeah. It becomes a really, um, you're building them up and they're gonna give you something of value, two-way value again. Yeah. And um, so they'll, okay, yep, I'll do it for, I'll make a video for you for 500 bucks. And then the beauty of that is they just spent a lot of time and effort making content for your brand you think they're not going to post it on social? They would love to. <laughs> of course they're they're looking to. for Look what content. I made. Yeah. yeah. It was a cool thing. They want to post it. They want to talk about it. So they usually end up posting it too, which is great. Now, you're a bit limited sometimes. Um, it d- depends on how you went into that relationship. You might be limited on what you can require them to post. If you're not asking them to post, you don't have a lot of wiggle room for requiring them to, you got to use these hashtags. Da, 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 da. You can suggest it. And yeah. if they're a good partner, they will adhere to it. <laughs> if it's a video you don't you don't like and they didn't adhere to the way that they're representing your brand, you can always ask for them to take it down. Mm-hmm that doesn't work for us. We don't really like the way you said that or that doesn't align with our values. Can you please remove it? Mm. And again, if it's a good partner, they'll do that. Um, I've never had that happen before though. And yeah, so it becomes this really great value add to the relationship where they love the content they're making for your brand. They'd love to post more than what you ask them to do. And they just go on their own. And a lot of, actually, I was going to look this up in that program that I was just talking about. There was, because the program, so in full transparency, it was a, it was a, a beauty brand launching a cosmetic line. So part of the campaign promotion was, this was a content creation play and amplification. So what we were, we sent them on a trip outside the country and the idea being they're going to create a ton of content because they're going on this really awesome trip. Right. Like, of course you would. Just like anybody, you're going to yeah. blow up your Instagram and whatever platform you're talking on to talk about this really cool place and who brought you there. So the idea was taking them on this trip generates so much more content than we ever asked for because they're in a really cool setting. We just gave them the best backdrop. Like they can't help themselves. They love it. And so we end up getting way more content than we know what to do with. And then a few weeks later, we launch a campaign on our own social platforms with 113 assets that we just got delivered to us from a trip Mm -hmm. that provided amplification, that provided it's it all fed into itself. Yeah. Um, so it was this awesome cycle, and we got really good at that rhythm. And then COVID hit. <laughs> um, it was let's see how many. So we had forty eight deliverables that were contracted. So each one of these people, there were 
nine people on this trip, 48 contracted deliverables. So the negotiating pre-trip, okay, you're going to do one video and two social posts. Okay, sure. good, good, good. And then 75 assets were going to be delivered to us. 48 were under contract. They actually delivered a total of 75. And when it was all said and done, 113 pieces were actually out there. Hmm. So 48 to 113. Yeah. That was a, that's the majority yeah. of the content that was delivered wasn't even contracted for. <laughs> it was just value add. <laughs> Amazing. I'll do this all day. All like, day. Yeah. You could justify that to, it, well, it kind of took me a math whiz to do it, but in a boardroom full of people, it is not hard to communicate the success of something like that. Right. You know? So, yeah, that was something that um, became, and once you do it once, it becomes a lot easier to sell that idea to get the budget to support a program like that. Sure. So, oh, we were talking, okay, so we didn't really get into that out-of-pocket cost, that straight cost that can go to these people when you're engaging them. Like I was saying, those two buckets, you've got content creators over here. Sometimes they're very sophisticated, but small audience folks, mm -hmm. $500 for an asset sometimes. Great. Give me that all day. There's no agency that will ever be able to do that cheaper, right? Mm. In-house, yes, probably. But, I mean, if you really want to get down to the nitty-gritty, is it? Is though? it? Yeah. <laughs> so... That, I would do that all day. Find those people that are making great content and delivering such great value back to you for your budget. But then the amplification portion, it's such a new and nuanced world of social media marketing layered with the influencer component. I think the beauty and fashion category, since that exploded a long time ago, like 2012, mm -hmm. I think they got away with a lot and that bubble kind of burst a couple of years ago and I don't think they make the kind of money they used to make. Mm. Um, but some of those people make hundreds of thousands of dollars per YouTube video because they have an enormous platform of sure. many millions of people all over the, all over the world watching them. Um, but at that point, they're kind of they're doing collaborations with their brands. They have long-term contracts as global brand ambassadors. The traditional, um, you know, Julia Roberts becoming the face of whatever Estee Lauder anymore. That's not resonating with people like it used to. So companies like that are looking towards the smaller mid-range influencers that are operating those really big platforms to co-produce product with them, put their name on the packaging, get the word out there. Um, those are, of course, more in the world in terms of out-of-pocket costs, more in that world of like celebrity endorsement because yeah. those YouTube stars really are like celebrities now. It's all about negotiation. And if you can, I would say like a typical Instagram story rate is something in the vicinity of like $1,500 for like a four to five slide Instagram story for an mm. influencer. Might cost a little extra if you ask them to keep that up beyond that 24 hours and put it in a highlight button. So that's something that you can expect. An in-feed post, that's taking up real estate in their very limited Instagram feed. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that could cost you anywhere from, I would say an average is probably $2,000 for that. Okay. And you have to require that they keep it up. Don't let them take mm-hmm. it down. They'll, if you don't put it in writing, they'll take that down immediately. As soon as they can, they'll take yeah. that down. Um, so make sure they keep it up. And then what else? Like a YouTube video, though. Oh, man. Those can run you big. If it's a, say it's a full-blown makeup tutorial and you're, they're using all of your product, that could run you, if it's a big enough person, they could run you 10 grand. Hmm. So it really is all over the board. You cannot be afraid to negotiate hard, walk away. You're a brand with a footprint too. Yeah. Like it really is a value add. You shouldn't come to the table begging and hoping for them to be a part of your program. Guess what? There's literally more just like them, mm-hmm. and there's limited brands out there for them. Yeah. So, you know, I think brands do a lot of times have the upper hand, um, and you shouldn't be afraid to negotiate hard. This is my budget. <laughs> what can you do with this budget? Yeah. A lot of them have rate cards, and they'll just throw you a rate card the minute you email them. And that's, in my opinion, a red flag, too. Like, mm. all right. Do you not care about our? Do you not care to know anything about the product? You're just <coughs> gonna throw me a rate card and say, "Hey, here's what it is." Yeah. Okay, I'll keep my eye on that. You know. Yeah. So, the out of pocket costs um, for some of these people can really vary, and you just gotta decide. Once you get into negotiation mode with ten different people, you gotta decide who's worth that budget, and you're kind of doing this balancing act the whole time. And sometimes maybe you have to drop somebody to take on somebody a little bit bigger. Um, and sometimes those bigger people don't pay off the way you wish they would. Hmm. And then you're like, well, learn my lesson there. Yeah. Not doing that again. Yeah. So I think when you compare those types of costs with other advertising that people are already doing, it's it doesn't seem that crazy after right. all. You know, right. when you say ten thousand dollars for a YouTube video, like I don't know if anybody has ever noticed, but I have two daughters, and every time they go watch a YouTube video and they come back and they say, I want this toy, and I'm like, that's called influencer marketing. Yeah. That eight-year-old <laughs> is an influencer yep. influencing my eight-year-old yep. to buy this toy. Wild, huh? It is crazy, and it's but it works, right? Did you ever right. see did you see what happened with um his name is Ryan? I don't even know his last name. Ryan's World. <clears throat> have you has your daughter have your daughters watched he was probably about he was like a toddler when he got really popular and that was probably about the same time you had toddlers. I don't, he would I'm open not he was the original opener of toys. He uh, would open toys. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and he was he was the OG. His mom would film him and he was just he's just the cutest little kid. And Oh my gosh, he would just have so many toys, so many toys. And my kid was about that age, and he would just watch them over and over and over, and then he'd want all these toys. I'm like, what kid has a room full of toys? Well, now that kid is something like 12 years old, and he has a line at Walmart. He has a line of toys. (laughs) Of course he does. (laughs) There you go. So tell your daughter tell Hannah tell little Hannah what she can be one day yes I've already told them I said you can do this like you can grab mom's phone (laughs) set it up make your own YouTube channel I'll help you set it up you're so nice I mean the whole thing I'm like of course I'm over here like they can start getting checks in and like all this stuff (laughs) you don't have to buy the toys all this but no but it's it's crazy to me that like if you pay attention there's 
that I think a lot of us, and when we think of influencer marketing, we're thinking celebrity, big endorsement mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But it's like it's not necessarily that. It's the kid on YouTube. It's you know, like you mentioned, uh, somebody on Instagram who has a very niche following of fifteen hundred, twenty five hundred people. And you're like, I really like the stuff they're putting out. Let's get our name in there. And maybe it'll help them grow their followers, but it's helping us at the same time. So it doesn't have to be this like, oh, we got to go find the most popular person out there. It's like, let's let's find, I mean, wouldn't you say, like, especially we're just getting started, starting with the smaller people might Mm be a good step. Oh, absolutely. Look for people that are... um, you know, you want to you want to comma in that follower category. Yeah. So definitely <laughs> over a thousand. I would say a ten thousand. Well, even that. I would say start out in the like four thousand. Look between four thousand, ten thousand. See what you can find in that range. Um, once you once they go beyond that ten thousand mark, they're gonna up their prices anyways. And then at every interval after. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say you'd be really surprised the level of engagement that they're able to maintain with their audience and those close relationships with their audience when they're in that really sweet spot of, of they've seen some momentum. Maybe they even got to quit their day job and now this is something they're doing full time. Um, but finding those fledgling influencers, those mm-hmm. diamonds in the rough that are growing at a really you know, pretty quick clip. Um, maybe you keep your eye on them and follow them for a few months to see how they're growing. But yeah, when you can grow with them, ooh, that's the best because then you become an OG brand that helped build them yeah. and they are with you for life and yeah. they will defend you forever. If you keep that relationship good, you're in a really sweet spot. So yeah, that's something um, that we did quite a bit with with one of our clients' programs, and it just really paid off. We had four or five people that were just constantly, you could call them up and say, hey, we really need an asset, a video that shows this. We've got consumers asking how to open this lipstick. Mm -hmm. And they're like, great, I'm on it. And within 24 hours, you'd have a piece of content that was awesome showing exactly what your consumers were asking, and you could put it up on social, no big deal. Yeah. So that kind of relationship is, in my opinion, priceless for a brand. That's awesome. So yeah, I think um, finding those smaller people that are trying to grow and trying to be something every day. There's, there's a new crop of people coming into the mix and out with the old and in with the new influencers. So definitely make sure you're of that world. Like if you don't have an Instagram account, you should <laughs> you get an Instagram <laughs> account. You should be there on the platform that you are hoping to get content out. Like in my opinion, if you're leading any kind of group of marketing and you're not in the spaces that your target audience is in, mm. oof, you are missing you're missing out because yeah. you don't know what they're seeing. You don't know what they're seeing from a competitor, a direct competitor standpoint. You don't know what they're seeing from an indirect competitor standpoint. You're all competing for the same eyeballs. And if you're not in those spaces seeing what they see, you're behind. You don't you don't have the edge to know what you should be doing. Hmm. So there are there are examples, really interesting examples of brands who have created their own influencers. Hmm. Um there is a brand that created 
CGI influencers, those are a thing. They have millions of followers. They are not real people. <laughs> and they are this online persona that people cannot get enough of. Yeah. So, like, truly the creativity and the possibilities are endless in this space. It's knowing, just like anything else in marketing, it's knowing who you're trying to go after and what makes them tick. Hmm. And knowing your consumer inside and out in this in this particular space is so, so critical because you can literally design something to speak right to them and hit their motivations if you know what those are. Hmm. So just like anything else in marketing and advertising, knowing your audience is the most critical thing and yeah. you can never have enough of that. So that's my tip. Cool. <laughs> well, Hannah, thank you so much. I mean, honestly, like I've got notes. I've learned a lot today. Great. So very cool. Um, I appreciate your time. And if somebody is listening to this and they've got questions for you and they want to, uh, let's use the term, engage with you in a certain way, where should they do that? They can find me on Instagram at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, Joe, J-O, Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, Hannah Johanna, really leaning into my palindrome yeah. uh, on Instagram. Uh, send me a DM and let's chit chat. Okay, cool. Well, thanks again, Hannah. Thanks, Kyle. I appreciate it. It was great. Yes, lots of fun. Thanks so much for listening to the Big Brand Theory podcast. Make sure to like and follow us on social media and subscribe to the podcast today. 